G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and today we get to hear from a young leg spinner who's been tearing it up in the WBBL. Oh, that's brilliantly done by Gibson. She deserves that. She has locked them down and a delighted little shimmy as she knocks over White's off stump with a beautifully flighted delivery. Maisie Gibson. From games in the backyard at Singleton to a star of the WBBL and WNCL. A young leg spinner with plenty to look forward to. She's also got her own business, The Sock Enthusiast. And today we hear her story on the Cricket Library Podcast. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast to Maisie Gibson. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, Maisie, we probably got to see you playing on the big stage of of cricket in Australia in the first season of the Big Bash, but there's quite a lot of steps in your journey before you got there. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into where your passion for cricket started? Uh, well, basically, probably like most people, it started in the backyard with my dad and my older brother and then my younger siblings as well. But um, So I first started playing with Abe, my older brother, and then eventually while he was playing on 10, um, we all had to go and watch. So it was kind of like in Singleton at the ground, one ground in particular, there wasn't actually much of a playground to play on. So it was kind of like you could watch the cricket there and sit with mum and dad get bitten by green ants and everything like that. Or there was the offer that that uh, made that I could play as well. So I ended up playing my first season um, with my older brother, which was pretty exciting and I kind of enjoyed it ever since then. And then I um, kind of made my own way from there play as he's a couple of years older. So kind of playing just in the age group under him. Yeah. Were there many other girls playing in the under 10s at that time or you were kind of, uh, one, of one of the only ones? Uh, no, there were two other girls in my team. One was Belinda and one was Courtney. Um, and they were both playing because of their older brothers that were playing with my older brother. So we kind of grew up playing that together and then we all went our different ways. But um, in Singleton, there's been quite a few girls come through, um, through the pathways and stuff like that, and then kind of training with Central North. So that's actually been pretty exciting that um, it hasn't just kind of been the one-off. There's been kind of a few girls here and there, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's that's really exciting to hear. And your leg spin bowling, how, how long have you been bowling leg spinners? Have you Is that something you're sort of mucking around with uh, at that early stage or is that something that came a little bit later on? Uh, well, I think it kind of runs in the family. As my brother bowls left arm orthodox and my dad bowls right arm off spin. But um, I tried to bowl pace when I was younger and with the way I released the ball, I kind of basically bowled like a leg cutter every time so dad was kind of like well why don't we try this eventually when my hands got a little bit bigger and I could actually grip the ball and I've kind of bowled I've gone from very very loopy leg spin to a little bit flatter and more so into the wicket which is kind of what I mainly bowl throughout all of Big Bash. Yeah yeah and so about how old do you reckon you would have been was this like sort of 13 14 or a bit earlier? Yeah around about that I'd say. Yeah, okay. And moving into from playing club cricket, you did you play any 
uh, junior cricket, like representative cricket with other girls or was that all once you started getting into the pathway? Uh, no, that was more so all the pathway stuff. Um, I just played like under 12s rep uh, with the boys for Singleton. So that was kind of it. I didn't really get my first dose of all girls cricket until I was in the pathways uh, training with Central North. Yeah, and then your progression, you, you play New South Wales under-15s and you captain New South Wales under-15s. Uh, some pretty high-quality cricketers in that group, just some of them that have gone on to higher honours, Ash Gardner, Maitland Brown, Lauren Cheadle, Lauren Smith, and there's a few others there as well that have played Big Bash. Um, what was it like? Um, what was the environment like playing in that New South Wales under-15s team? Um, it was kind of like a sleepover every night. Like we all became uh, friends and then I've actually gone on to live with Lauren Smith, um, Hannah Chithui as well. So I've made some pretty good friends out of that and some lifelong friends. And then you see them around when you play them and you burst them and it's always like a, hey, how are you? So I don't think when you're playing those underage carnivals, I think there's always a little bit of friendship there that kind of maintains and it's always nice to see familiar faces. Um, and it's actually really exciting to see how many girls that I did play with um, throughout underage to go on and play at different states and big bash franchises. So it's actually really exciting. And, and being the captain, uh, how, how did you find that responsibility? <laughs> well, it was probably a one-off, so I don't know if I was very good at it. But um, it was very stressful, especially um, in underage where everyone's kind of finding their feet as to what they want to bowl and where they want to put it and things like that. But um, I enjoy the leadership side of things. Um in a sense of leading the team um, on the field. But tactically, I think I was a little bit behind a few of the other girls. Yeah, okay. And did you find it hard, like, being a spin bowler and trying to, I guess, trying to manage when to back yourself to bowl? Like, I'm just looking through some of your figures here. You returned some pretty good numbers, a three for one, two for 19. Um, It was knowing when to bowl hard or was it just the whole trying to keep across – uh, the flow of the game? Um, I think knowing when to bowl is quite hard. And I remember do, having those conversations with Lisa Stalaker about potentially under-bowling myself, but um, I'm pretty sure we had a pretty good carnival that season, so it couldn't have been too bad. Yeah, yeah. No, it, very, very good carnival um, for New South Wales. And back home, so you, you, you're back um, when you're playing uh, back at home, you become the first female to play first grade in the 120-year history of the Maitland and District Cricket Association. What are your recollections of of that time and and playing playing first grade with the with the men? Um, it was quite surreal. I remember getting the phone call, and I was lucky enough that a few, well, two of the other spinners were actually away and kind of growing up in the Hunter Valley, a lot of the men that play are on shift work. So you've kind of got a few available some week and then a completely different team available the next week. So um, it just happened to work out that we didn't have any spinners and I got the call up and I didn't believe it at the time. And I kind of told mum and I made a joke to her saying, oh, I hope uh, Abe gets to present me with my baggy green because we were the plovers, so we were green. Yeah. And... Um, he ended up driving down from up from Newcastle and he got to present it. And I'm pretty sure he cried. I know I did. I'm very emotional anyway, but yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a few tears. But um, 
the whole game experience was actually quite daunting because the men do hit the ball quite like quite harder than what the women do and also in very different spots than what the women do. So my stock standard field of um, a deep square leg, deep mid-wicket, long on and a deep cover kind of didn't cover where I was actually getting hit by the men. So that was quite a challenge in itself. Yeah, yeah. And is it something that you – did you ever sort of have it in the back of the mind that that was something that you wanted to do or was it more just a string of events – and then it happened, and then then you're there, and it's actually happening. Uh, yeah, more so it just kind of happened. Um, I was just at that stage just trying to play as much cricket as I could possible. Um, I was playing a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and a Sunday in Sydney, so I was just trying to get as much, much exposure as possible and kind of bowling in whatever situation um, I could really. Yeah, and you're play- were you playing with universities up in Sydney at that time? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you'd you'd play Saturday and then drive up first thing Sunday morning, or would you go down Saturday night? What was the what was the travel commitment there? Uh, Dad would drive uh, myself and my sister Nell um, Sunday morning. So kind of the earliest we'd have to leave was about six thirty. So it wasn't too bad. Um, and neither of us were driving, so it was more so taxing on Dad. We could have a little nap in the car and then be ready to go. <laughs> By nine o'clock oh, uh, how, with university. How good are dads? That's that's outstanding. Uh, and I take it your dad loves his cricket and would have loved every minute of seeing his daughters playing. Yeah, he's he's been down to Tassie to watch um, some of our home games for Big Bash, which um, he loves it. He will still go watch my older brother play and my younger brother. So. He gets to it whenever he can. And is he still rolling the arm over himself? Uh, not for a few years now. I think the last time he played, he strained his hamstring and fielded it in first slip for the rest of the game. So that's as far as he's gotten. Uh, yeah. yeah. The hamstrings only last so long. I'm starting to realise that as I move into my <laughs> 40s. So, yeah, I, I can empathise with your father there. Now, from grade cricket to the breakers, what was – what was the progression like there? Was it a quick one? Was there um, – give, give us give us a bit of a, a taste of what, what it was like um, breaking into that breakers team. Well, fortunately enough, I my last season of under-18 was probably one of my best underage carnivals I've played in. And so I was selected in the breakers academy – um, which at that time was basically kind of a train on squads for the breakers. So I'd go down kind of once a week and train with the breakers um, and just kind of keep my toes in the water there. But um, that was the season that Erin Osborne had decided to leave for personal reasons. So she kind of ventured off to ACT kind of for a new challenge and whatnot. And um, that ended up being my call up. So kind of with Erin leaving on to different things, was my opportunity to be in the squad. So I just trained for that whole first year that I was in the breakers and then got to make my debut this season after um, in Brisbane with Belinda. Yeah, and your, your debut, tell us tell us about the emotion there um, around finally getting that chance to, to play for one of the most successful sporting teams in the history of sport. The Breakers have been absolutely incredibly dominant and as a youngster finding your way in the first 11 
Can you reflect on that for us? Um, it was quite daunting to be a part of that team and knowing that you've got potentially the, some of the best five in Australia playing with the likes of Rachel Haynes, Elisa Healy, Alex Blackwell, Elise Perry, um, and people like that, and kind of finding your way in that with quite a few girls who are now quite established, like Ashgard and Nick Carey as well. So the way they do it at New South Wales is amazing, and being able to be a part of that. Um, luckily enough, I got to debut with Belinda, so I kind of had someone else finding their feet with me, which was great. Yeah. And um, Renee Farrell kind of took us under her wing and kind of made sure we were okay and all the nerves and anxiety that comes with the debut, especially in a place that we're debuting at the Gabba where I'm not familiar with, I don't have any family or friends there. So um, she really looked after us, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, and was there some sort of uh, formal ceremony before the game to, to welcome you both into the team? Yeah, so they did a baggy blue cat presentation. So Alex Blackwell presented me with mine um, as my uh, uni captain. Oh, cool. And um, then just straight into it, straight into warm-up. So it was kind of good that there wasn't that big, massive ceremony sort of thing and you just got to kind of go through the warm-up, which um, the warm-up we do, would do every time we trained. So it wasn't something unfamiliar, which was quite good. So I kind of knew exactly what I was getting into straight away and then going to bowl, um, going to drop a few balls and then kind of was a little bit more chilled after that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any any other reflections on your time at New South Wales? Obviously, um, big, big moment playing. I think you were, you were in uh, Alex Blackwell's last game when New South Wales won there. Is that a high – is that – like a high point winning the WNCL or are there other things that you look back on and think, oh, gee, that was that was a great time? I think I was just grateful for the opportunity to kind of make it in New South Wales. Like they're a well-regarded team. Um, and then to be a part of um, – to play club cricket with Alex Blackwell and then to be a part of that her final season with the New South Wales Breakers was amazing. Like she's someone who I admire and is such a great person both on and off the field, the way she carries herself. Um little things like that and just being able to build friendships like I can walk past people like Rachel Haynes now who I I would say we're friends, um, yeah. who I can have those conversations through and then growing up and admiring them um, and just getting to know them and kind of the people who they are away from cricket and it was just a, overall a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. And coming in um, a- around the time of the WBBL starting – what are you? What are your reflections on the start of WBBL and and what that meant for the female game in Australia? That was just a massive step forward for women's cricket and women in sport, and to be a part of it. Um, for most of the season, I sat on the sidelines, and just the atmosphere around the ground with people coming to the games. Like for WNCL, we don't there's rarely any people that come and if they do, it's probably friends or family. Um, So to have people actually come in and watch those games and have them cheering you on and then people knowing your name and wanting your autograph, like it's just a completely different feeling. And then to be a part of the WBBL01 winning team is like, it's still surreal now. Like it happened, it feels like it happened like so long ago, but it actually didn't. And then to see how far 
the WBBL has also come is amazing. Like we're now a standalone competition. Um, it's just like it's actually unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been incredible for uh, girls cricket at community level as well. Having people like yourself that are kind of paved the way. We're coming up to the fifth season of WBBL now, and it's it's part of the furniture. It's it's uh, got its own rightful place in the Australian cricket summer. Just wanted to ask you about um, you just mentioned then the crowds and and people starting to know your name and. Uh, want your autograph and that sort of thing. Did you did you find uh, that affected your mental preparation before a game? Did you find you'd start to put more pressure on yourself to perform uh, as as the game had more of an elevated status, or do you find you thrive on that kind of thing of having the crowd behind you? And um, does it bring the best out of Maisie Gibson? <laughs> I think it makes it more nerve-wracking, like you've got more eyes on you. It's, I find I kind of compare it to when I'm having a hit in the net and then the head coach walks past and I guarantee the next ball I get out and I'm like, well, that's not doing me any favours there. But I just think there's more eyes on you and it's so good when you're going well, but it hurts your heart a little bit when you're not going as well and all the people that have come out to support you and you're losing those games by like a run or a wicket and it's just like you just feel like you haven't you've let just quite a few people down and I think that's the bit that hurts the most because when you're going well you feel unstoppable because you can hear the crowd cheering behind you but then kind of when the game isn't going in your favor I think that's probably where it gets me a little bit it's like oh all these people came to watch and we haven't produced a game that I know we can do yeah yeah and you mentioned you're on the sidelines a little bit um, but you do come into the fray in the and, and you play a pretty important role in both the semi-final and the final. In in the semi, you dismiss Bates and Bolton, a couple of key wickets there against the Scorchers in a pretty tight game. I think you won by half a dozen runs or so in that one. And then in the final, a couple of key wickets there. You're old under-15s coach, one of them, and Elisa Healy in, in the big game. Can you reflect on 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 that feeling of getting it right when it mattered? I still can't believe like that happened. And I think it shows kind of that's where it pays off all the hard work that you've done. And um, there's a joke going around the team now that I can't catch court and bold at the moment, but I just always bring up that court and bold. <laughs> I got Susie Bates out. It wasn't necessarily the best four, but... It doesn't say that in the books, as I keep telling everyone. Um, yeah, but no. to look back on it, it's like I would put that as one of the highlights of my career. So it's kind of like when I am feeling a little bit down and out, um, more so in pre-season as such, because it is quite tough, especially at the moment when we're not sure what's kind of happening with the scheduling and stuff. Yeah, You look back and you're like, I can't wait to do that again. Like I've done it before. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, I've just checked the score book here. It says... Court Gibson, Bold Gibson. So yeah, that is correct. That's a good, that's a good little stat. I like it. And um, also, uh, also in your time at the Thunder, it's something I wanted to ask you about. Was um, oh, before we get to that, um, the men's team winning the same year. So you've got Thunder winning uh, WBBL one, and and the men's team winning. Uh, BBL 05, 
did that add to the satisfaction, the double? Yeah, I think um, our first year that we were introduced for the Women's Big Bash, um, Nick Cummins, who was our CEO at the time, our general manager for Thunder, made a big emphasis on um, two teams, one club. So we did a lot of things with the boys and you could kind of walk us some of those big names that always say, hello, how are you? And you have those chats and those moments are so special because the men and the women's team for so long have been separate. So I think we did it together. And I think that's the most amazing thing. Like we did it as one club and that's probably the most special thing. Yeah. And any of the guys that you, like, were you a fan of some of the guys? Like I, Oh, I'm 41 years old and I still openly admit that I love Michael Hussey. Um, <gasps> Me too. <laughs> so, so, I love him so much. Yeah, so was he the one? Was he like, oh, how good's this? Yeah, he – well, I got to meet him while I was at Thunder, but I, Joe Broadbrandt introduced me in front of both the men's and women's team when we were at a fan day and I was genuinely speechless. I couldn't get a word out and – I nearly started crying, so I so I wouldn't say I spoke to him more so because <laughs> I couldn't get the words out. But things like that, I just like I'm gonna keep that forever. Like I used to have a singleton rap hat signed by Mike Hussey, and now I've met him. I said hello. We've won a we've won a big bash title and a WBBL title together. So like amazing. Yeah, totally, totally amazing, uh, incredible, and. Outside of cricket, one of the one of the interesting gimmicks, I don't know if you'd call it a gimmick, but John Cena, Mr. WWE, uh, finds himself <laughs> at the Nets with Maisie Gibson and Shane Watson. Uh, there there might have been others there. Uh, you, you might, can, can you tell us about that net session? We're going to ask you a bit later on about your three people you'd most like to have a net with. Would John Cena have been on that list or was that just a totally out of the blue situation well you get asked to do appearances throughout the season and I got asked to do this appearance at um Sydney Uni and I was like oh yeah I'll come on down um and it was a shame what's the anger in the sand do and then I kind of get there and like there's these big black cars rolling in I'm like oh what's, hap- like, what's happening here this is a bit interesting and then John Cena gets out the car and I was like oh okay well okay and then I wasn't really sure what was happening and then I've just gone and got changed and come back out and then oh, there's all these kids running around and like they're so pumped because John Cena's here and I'm like well I'm a little bit pumped too but like got to keep it professional even though the kids really didn't care that Shane Watson was there or anything like that they wanted to see John Cena they wanted to bowl at John Cena Yeah. and then I was like well I want to play too but I was a little bit scared that if he did connect like he's so big and strong and I was like if he does connect like he's definitely hitting the ball harder than Shane Watson would <laughs> Thankfully, they were only plastic balls, but you just have so many amazing experiences that are actually a little bit like when you think about it, like John Cena and then come, turning up to cricket, like he probably doesn't even know what cricket is. Yeah. But he's turned up and he's given it a red hot crack. And it's, you go to those things and you personally, you think, well, yeah, there's going to be all these people here, but they aren't here. They're, like they don't really care what I do, they're not interested. But nearly 100% of the time, like, they do care, they are invested and they want to know, like, they're intrigued. Like, they want to know what it's like to be 
a professional female athlete like in this day and age where it's like, yeah, we earn enough to rent a house with two other housemates, but we don't really earn enough to kind of live that luxury lifestyle that kind of you do associate that with like the IPL and things like that. But we earn enough to live comfortably and for it to, for it to be our full-time job where kind of five years ago, five, six years ago, it was like you would study full-time and train part-time where it's come so far and like it's reaching people. Yeah. Yeah, totally is. Totally is. How, how did uh, Mr. Cena hit him? Did did he connect to a few? Well, I didn't get him out, but I wouldn't say he smashed me out of the park either. So I would say it was like a little bit of 50-50. So a, a draw, like a points decision, probably probably victory to Gibson by the sounds of it. Yeah, and, well, I, I'm not sure if it's biased or not, but I would say that. Yeah, okay. No, that's good. I just uh, uh, You're the most neutral person I can ask at this time, so we'll go with that. And uh, now, now moving to Tasmania, um, exciting to go somewhere new where you haven't really lived before. Uh, tell us about it. Tell us about Tassie. It's cold. Yeah, it it's been a great experience so far. I've really enjoyed my time um, here, and with the weather, it's a, it's very nice weather. If you didn't have to catch cricket balls at eight thirty in the morning, I was going to say, yeah, fielding practice. <laughs> there's hand warmers. There's you've got the gloves that protect you from the hot spots. But I'm really happy with the move, and I'm really happy with the team I'm now a part of. I'm forever grateful for the time I spent at Thunder and at New South Wales, but coming down here, I'm kind of playing more of that leadership role. Um, and it's just amazing. Like the girls are great. The girls have kind of, they didn't, they got a club, a women's club cricket down here because CA told them they had to, if they wanted to have a WNCL team. So they kind of went a little bit backwards and they've got, some great people like Kim Fazakli, um, Julia Price, who had to go play for another state if they wanted to play for Australia because there was no state cricket down here. So mm. they've got they've produced some great cricketers, and I'm really excited to where our team is heading now and where the future of um, our WNCL and Big Bash team will head as well when I'm long gone. Yeah, yeah, and um, one of our former guests actually, Kristen Beam, she came through Tassie before going. Uh, interstate to make her way in cricket. Um, who who are you kind of working with uh, with your bowling down there? Do you have do you have set people that you spend time with uh, to to sort of hone your your craft a little bit down there? Well, I'm lucky enough to work with Beamsy on a Monday night, which it's quite good because I wouldn't say we bowl similar, but we're not big legs in bowlers, as in we don't turn it as much as some other people do so it's good to have someone who's kind of very smart with her pace and her flight and even moving her field um, and just learning off her tactically and kind of playing the little cat and mouse game with the batters yeah um, and then every other day basically I work with Dan Marsh who is one of the most calmest people I've ever met and um, was a very good cricketer in his day and still he sometimes has to bowl at us uh, in the nets and still bowls rings around us. Yeah, right. So I've got some great people around me and some great support. 
And you've had on-field success. Uh, Tasmania's Player of the Year last year. What, what, do, what do those individual awards mean to someone like yourself? I personally never thought that I'd ever win something like that. So it was a bit surreal when it happened. And due to uh, COVID and all those restrictions, I kind of found out via phone. So it, there hasn't really been like you'd normally find out on the awards night. So there hasn't really been that celebration. It kind of slid under the radar, which I'm not mad about. Yep. It kind of it, They announced it and then kind of the medal got sent here. And then... Oh, you got your medal in the mail. Yeah, how fun. That, I mean, that is so mailed, cool. So it's like, <laughs> but it, um, and then it was kind of moved on and now it's pre-season. So it's kind of stood under the radar, which is quite nice, but it's something that I'll cherish forever because I look back and it, I said to someone not that long ago, I was like, I actually don't remember much of the season. I remember kind of more so the bad stuff and the frustrating stuff. But when I actually do sit back and reflect, it was actually quite a successful season and one of my best seasons yet. Yeah. Yeah, and some runs as well. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, good, good stuff, good stuff. Now, uh, one of the things uh, I picked up on during WBBL last year is, is you found yourself on the player microphone. Now, first question is, do you, do you get much um, – choice in who that is or does does someone just come down and say right Maisie here's the microphone you're on what's the what's the well, process there the thing is because the pack you put on is a little bit chunky and annoying so they tend to stay away from the pace bowlers ah, yep. and then so if you're a spinner or if you're a backer and so you're just fielding you're kind of the people that get targeted yeah but I kind of joked about it and then it was kind of like, okay, well, yeah, you can do it. And then I was so stressed and I had to get a little light pep talk from Lisa. I was like, Lisa, are you sure this is a good idea? I was like, I'm not really sure about this because like, <laughs> I was kind of thinking of worst case scenario. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but it was actually really fun and there was Lisa up there who I know and so it wasn't too daunting um, to kind of have three people that I didn't know at all just talking to me while I was trying to play the game. Yeah. So I do find it quite relaxing because I do find it easier to, when I voice my plan to someone, to then have it all make sense. So that actually helped me quite a lot. And then um, then I didn't have to annoy Corinne, basically. <laughs> so I was, I was a dream that day. Uh, yeah, I take it. Just the tone of what you're saying there is um, you, you might be hard work at times on the field. Is, is that fair to I say? I get this. Sometimes when Corinne waves at me, she's like, maybe next over. I just avoid making eye contact until I'm ready to accept that I do have to bowl the next over <laughs> because I just get so worked up sometimes about it all. And um, But I wouldn't say I'm a nightmare. Oh, that's good. And at the end of the day, we walk off the field and we're all still friends, so I can't be too bad. Yeah, but no. no, it's more so the nerves that get me and it's kind of the reassurance that I need that I can do this. You've done it before. You can do it again, that sort of thing. So we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, uh, very good, very good. Now, off the field, you, you've got your own little business and I, I really like this that um, you've got something that you're passionate about outside of cricket that you put a lot of time and energy into and it probably 
I might be assuming here, but it's a bit of a creative space for you outside of the game. Can you tell us about how the the sock enthusiast concept came about, and and how are things going with it? Uh, well, it started when I did a short course through the Elite Athlete Business School, which is run by Jason Nightingale, who used to play for the Dragons, oh, yeah. and his partner. Uh, Rebecca Cook. Yep. And they basically, it's just a short course on kind of the business side of things and all the logistics at the back of that, how to start a business, how, like what things you need to think of, like a business name and then registering business and kind of all the taxes and sort of thing. Like they touch on that. I mean, I would recommend getting a tax person. But, (laughs) um, and all those things. So it got to the point where it was kind of like, well, we had to do kind of like an end-of-year major project, which was kind of you're theoretically creating your own business. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Because um, a lot of the – so they kind of target like the rugby league boys, and a lot of them did like rugby league training camps and how they're going to target that. And I was like, oh, I'm not really – like I'm doing this because I want to kind of step away from cricket. This is something I've got on the side. So I was like, well, I'm really interested in stock. I enjoy fun socks. So I was like, well, why don't we go make a sock business, try that, see how it goes. So it was kind of all theory at the start. And then I was like, you know what? After I had to look into the cost and stuff to set it up, I was like, I can actually financially afford to do this right now. And so I spoke, obviously spoke to mum and dad. And they were like, oh, yeah, go for it. Like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you're out of pocket, out of pocket a little bit, but not detrimental. Um, and so I just went with it and it's kind of been two years now. I'm in year three and like it's still going. Um, yeah. So you don't really make a profit for a small business. You don't really make a profit in the first couple of years, but, um, it's still going and I'm not in debt to anyone. I'm just kind of cruising and I can go at my own pace, um, because it's just me that does it. And then with the help of mum, kind of bouncing ideas off her and my sister, which is quite handy. Um, to then just, it kind of keeps kicking really. Like I'm kind of thinking if I can invest more time into it and really dedicate it, I think I could take it potentially somewhere a little bit better than what it's at, but I'm happy with where it's at. And then having cricket on the side, I can come home and kind of feel like, well, I'm not sure what I'm doing with the rest of my day, but I've always got something to do with the soft business. Um, whether it's behind the scenes, kind of working out what design I want to have next. I slowly want to introduce some more colours and some more fun socks that are a little bit of me rather than the black and white. So we're slowly getting there. Yeah. And, um, that's about it really. Yeah, that's great. And if people want to buy a pair of socks, where do they – how do you sell them? Um, so I have a Instagram page, so it's at the sock enthusiast with an underscore, and basically you just um, direct message me on there and then – I'll wrap them, post them, and then kind of with a bank transfer, you pay for them. And so eventually, once I have some more stock, more than kind of three different pairs of socks, I'd like to get a website up and kind of do it through that way. But at the moment, you get a hand written receipt and some hand-wrapped socks, and then jobs are good in. Yeah, nearly as good as a medal in the mail, I reckon. <laughs> a fresh pair of socks. I don't know if anything beats it. Yeah, it's uh, it's outstanding stuff. Now... 
What are your future ambitions? Where 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 is Maisie Gibson hoping to head, uh, life wise, cricket wise? What what are you what what's on your what's on your goals list? I guess. I think, obviously, to play for Australia or get that opportunity. Um, and the thing is, the most exciting thing about that is you never know how close or how far you are mm. um, from that call up. Um, and then I think. I just want to enjoy my cricket and kind of play it for as long as I can. Um, and then hopefully take my stock business somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that you, you'd only be 23 or 24 and you've got a lot of, a lot of time ahead of you, both with your cricket and, and your, and your business. So it's great that you're starting now and, and building that, those foundations and, um, yeah, the world's your oyster, I guess, at, at this point in time. Now, um, our favourite question, our listeners around the world love this one, Maisie, and I gave you a little bit of prep on this one. Um, we'd love to know if, if you're having a net and you could invite anyone you want, um, who are your top three? Who, who's on your top three invite list here to, to come and have a net with you? I think... Will, will it be on a turf wicket or a synthetic wicket? You you get to choose the venue. So Daniel Sams, he he wanted Shoei Bakta on a uh, on the the practice nets at the Wacker because he wanted to see oh. Shoei really rip and tear. Uh, and so that's that's what he opted for. But you could choose, like you could you could have it well, at an indoor complex or you could have it you could have a. I guess if I'm being generous, um, you could effectively have a centre wicket net uh, if you really wanted to. But <laughs> I don't know what the cricket library budget is like, whether we can afford to, to put out the temporary nets in the centre and we can afford the heavy roller for, for, the, for the prep. But you tell me what you want and, um, and who you want there. Well, I think I'd like to take it up on the centre wicket because I'd like to see how far I can actually hit the ball. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I love to tell everyone in the net that I've just hit you for six and they're like, oh, I don't know if you have. So just to prove to everyone that I can hit them. Can I just ask a quick question? Do do you keep a tally of your career sixes? Have you – is that something you you keep keep a stat on? I think I kept count last season just to let everyone know that I'm kind of a bowling all-rounder now. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think my total amount of sixes last season was four. Yes, that's so, good. And I've counted the ones, obviously, in our warm-up games because every game of cricket counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just reminding, we had a team meeting today about um, the all-rounders, the pace all-rounders, and I gave Stella quite a reminder that there are some spinning all-rounders there too. Let her know. Let her know. I've put my hands up. <laughs> it, with four sixes to your name last year, does that put you in the the power hitter status, or do you kind of need double figures to be considered a power hitter? I feel like you might need double figures, so I like to mention it to um, our S and C Ross in the gym when I see the batters doing a few different workouts um, and gym exercises. To me, I just like to let them know also that Ross, I'm I'm also a batter too. Just just to let you know. <laughs> um, I don't want you to make my gym program any longer, but I want to do the fun stuff yeah, as yeah. well. So I just 
gentle reminders, you know, to, to the people that'll get me there. Yeah, that's good. And I'm sure they're all listening to this. So every everyone, uh, we're not talking just in Tasmania here, we're talking global. People are, are hearing Maisie Gibson means business. So who, who's coming to this centre wicket net? I think my first choice to help me hit sixes is Ben McDermott. Ben McDermott? And well, only because recently we've been in the in our marquee training on turf. Yeah. And Ben McDermott's been hitting in the net two nets over, and the sound it makes off his bat, his bat swing—it's basically a block and it goes. And I've told my batting coach uh, Alex Pycroft that I've sacked him and Ben McDermott's money batting coach. Not that I've ever spoken a word to Ben McDermott other than <laughs> a "Hey, how are ya?" when I walk past him. Yeah. So it's yeah. the ultimate fangirl here. Yeah, okay. So Ben McDermott will teach me how to hit sixes. Okay, that's good. And then I can't go past Rachel Haynes because I'm also a fangirl of her. Yeah. And maybe she can teach me how to sweep shoes. Yep. She, and then maybe she can bowl at me too because after all the time she's whacked me around in the net. It's my turn. My turn to kind of hit some bombs off her. Yeah, Rachel, uh, Rachel Haynes, a 150-plus in a WNCL final, serious batter. Unbelievable. And used to roll the arm over too. Yeah, so yeah. Can, she can roll, roll the arm over at me and I'll get on the front foot, hit it down the ground nicely. Yeah. And then my third choice, my mum wanted me to say her, but I've gone away from that. Sorry, oh, mom. well, um, what we did for Aidan Blizzard is um, we, we let him uh, invite a fourth person. So if your mum wants to come, she can come and we'll just get her a little cricket library accreditation and she yeah. can kind of just mill around and and just soak it all in. Perfect, because she's really good for the underarms for the warm-up. Oh, good, good. And my third person would be Joe Watson, who used to captain Essendon, ah. who I – was my favourite player. Unfortunately, I've had to try and find someone else, but I haven't filled that void yet. Um, massive, I'm a massive Essendon fan, and I just think he, the way he's carried himself throughout his career, is amazing. And I just, he'd probably be able to bowl a mean bouncer too, or maybe he bowls spin. Like you just don't know, really. Y- yeah, he might bowl both. So yeah. I just think he's someone that I'd like to have at my next session. Would, I think he'd be able to help me. If he, if you can get through a game of AFL, I think he'd be very helpful for the mental side of my game as well. So I think that he'd be my third person. Oh, that's that's an excellent three selections, Maisie, and we need to make that happen somehow. I'm sure Rachel and Ben and and Job are listening, and I'm sure they'll be they'll be very very happy to. Your phone will probably start ringing um, in a matter of minutes after this goes goes live and uh, we'll get someone on that heavy roller ASAP out in the out in the centre of the ground. Are you going Blundstone Arena? I might go the home of the Roos and go Kangaroo Bay, which is basically around the corner from Blundstone anyway. Okay. Um, beautiful club rooms, surf is on tap. I can serve a few pints after the after the net session. We've got synthetic wickets there or turf wickets for warm-up and then out in the middle, hit with the wind yeah. off the Bell Reef Key and we're good to go. You've given this a lot more thought 
than I thought you would, Maisie. I really do appreciate that. And I know that our listeners, uh, our listeners, all the cricket librarians out there, they would be loving every minute of your preparation for this. Well, thank you so much, Maisie, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and hearing more of your story. Wish you all the very best for the season ahead. Still a lot of uncertainties around in the world at the moment, but uh, really hoping that when things get back closer to normal, you'll be out there doing your best in the cricket season and go well from all of us here. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. A massive thanks to Maisie Gibson for being our latest guest on the Cricket Library podcast. What a wonderful story. A youngster who started playing with her older brother and then eventually went on to be presented with her first grade cap by her older brother as well down the track. The first female to play first grade in the 120-year history of the Maitland and District Cricket Association. Captain of the New South Wales under-15, some big names in that team. WBBL, John Cena, moving to Tasmania, bombing a few sixes last year. If you're listening, coaches, not quite a power hitter yet, she says, but she's certainly working on a batting and moving streets ahead with that. And of course, the sock enthusiast. What's the next best thing to getting a player of the year medal in the mail? I think it's probably a pair of socks from the sock enthusiast. Make sure you chase that up on Instagram. The sock enthusiast there, Maisie Gibson, and she'll sort you out with some socks. Some great socks. Very creative designs from Maisie Gibson there. And a net session to remember, a special pass for Maisie's mum to watch Ben McDermott, Rachel Haynes and Joe Watson in action. A high-quality centre-wicket net, followed by some refreshments served by Maisie afterwards. All sounds very good indeed. Well, I need to thank you, of course, as well, our listeners. Great people you are who tune into the Cricket Library podcast. I thoroughly appreciate the support you've been giving us on social media, uh, by rating and reviewing in the iTunes store. That goes a long way towards helping get the word out there of these stories we're sharing, stories that inspire a love of cricket. And I hope that Maisie Gibson's story has helped inspire a loving cricket for you or just even fan that flame a little bit more. We'll be back with lots more great content in the coming weeks. Make sure you stay across all the happenings at Cricket Library on Twitter and the Facebook page. Just do a search for Cricket Library Podcast. You'll find us there. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.